you know you're supposed to show up at church in our minds once a week. You know, every Sunday we should come to church, right? And we just sort of go through the motions. And at some point, if you've been around church long enough, you even know the right answers and you could probably give a better sermon or lead a better song than the guys up front doing it because you've been around it so much. You know everything. Well, when I used to play a lot of tennis, as you well know, it is my favorite sport, uh, I would play on a team that the the rules of the area I was at did not allow us to pick up our tennis rackets and use them the first two weeks we were allowed to train. Why? I don't know. So the first two weeks of training, we did a lot of running, trying to get in shape. And then we also did these exercises where we would move to the left. Actually, this is to my right. We would go like this. No rackets. Go like this. And we would do this for what felt like hours and hours and hours. And I remember we would every year, and this was as long as I can remember, every year we would ask the coach, Coach, when are we going to stop going through the motions? And he would look at us, and every year he would say the same thing. Well, the state says one thing, but I say another when you're ready. And then out would come out these bright optic yellow or green tennis balls, depending on what color you call them. And you know what? We would go like this, and we would hit the ball. And our muscles and our minds and everything had been trained to do the right thing in the right way without having to think about it. And suddenly, then we could make the adjustments needed when it was time and a ball was in play. Church... You might come to church every Sunday going through the motions, but as we open up God's word together, you will clearly see today that we are not called only to know the right answers. We are not called only to be able to go through the motions and hit that picture perfect forehand, which mine is not. We are called to do something with what God has given us. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Remember, we are invited to be a people that thrive. A people that thrive do not simply go through the motions. They use the tools they've been given to honor God. Right? Wow, thank you, one person. I'm going to come back to that later on. Ephesians 2, chapter Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Follow along with me as I read God's word today out of the New International Version. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by very nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Big way right there. Most of us know the word sin, transgressions, Big way of saying sins, okay? It is by grace you have been saved. Why did I say we must not go through the motions? Because this verse and the next one 
a lot of us that have been around the church memorize, know it, and tell it to other people. But do our lives look like it? Because Paul doesn't stop there. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Here you go. You ready? Can we read this part all together? Most of you know it. And if you don't know it, that's okay. You're going to learn it because it just sort of rolls off the tongue. And when we remember these promises, they stay with us. You ready? Okay. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And underline this in your Bibles and then read it with me. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Oh Lord, may we not be going through the motions anymore. May we live out these truths of your word, not because of a great sermon, but because of the greatness of you. In your name I pray, amen. We're three Sundays into our series on the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul wrote to this church that was trying to figure out how to be a church in a world where being a Christian was not popular. Does it sound familiar? We're in, our, in that setting again. And I asked the question the first week, and I'm, Pastor Stan asked it again last week, and I'm asking it again today. Are you surviving or are you thriving? Because God's word calls us and invites us into a relationship with Jesus Christ that says, in all circumstances, you are more than conquerors. In all circumstances, you can thrive. That is different from saying you will succeed in everything you try. When he says that we are created to be more than conquerors, God is inviting us into a relationship with him that says everything in our life will have meaning according to his plan, his purpose, and his pleasure. And then whatever happens in this world, we can lay at him. James McDonald is famous for saying, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Anybody can get there. All are invited to Jesus. But in so doing, we're not just invited to trudge up to him and then keep going lowly and slowly. We're invited up to a place of thriving, of relational vitality, of like we've been on a Red Bull our whole lives spiritually, knowing that God has a plan, even when we don't understand it. And we've explored a bit of that knowing uh, the past two weeks we really focus on the concept of when you're in Christ, we can trust him in all situations. He is in control and he allows us to be used mightily by him, right? God is in control? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, let me wake you up a little bit. Maybe. It's thinking. You were dead. How do you like that? It's a good thing to think about, isn't it? Just go ahead and think about that for a second. 
He doesn't say you were sick, right? No, he says, behold, we were dead in our transgressions. And then we did a bunch of things to go with that. So I want to I pull these out and see if you can relate to any of them because it is a battle. And I'm going to explain this to us as clearly as I can. Paul does it. We're just going to outline it. You've got, by the way, I'm sorry, pause for a break. These notes are the simplest I've ever given you because it's all about what we do with the word of God. How do we let him transform our lives? If you do not have a copy of the sermon notes and you would like to pay attention and write down the greeters and ushers in the back are already on it, you could just raise up your hand. Don't be embarrassed. We would love to give you a free gift. You'll get what that means in a moment and let you follow along and have these notes with you. But the first thing we see is we were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were instead living according to the cravings of our flesh. Whatever I want, that's what I'm going to get. Even if I'm married, I'm going to go after another person. Even if I have no money, I'm going to keep spending. Even if any number of things, I've decided to cheat. I don't really need to pay my taxes. They've got plenty of money. We follow the desires of our sinful self. We were dead. We were following the desires and thoughts of the world around us. Get more of this, then you will be happy. Do this, then you will be fulfilled. And notice that Paul here doesn't say that this was a sickness, right? He says, you were dead in your sins. Why do you think he uses that? Because here's the thing. Our bodies are amazingly robust. And for the most part, we can recover from sickness. We go to a doctor, gives us some Panadol, and boom, we're magically healed, right? You know, we, for most sicknesses, from a cold to the flu to trying to cut your finger off, we do heal. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot heal ourselves from sin. Sin is a death penalty. There is no recovery from sin on your own. You cannot one day get up and say, yep, no more sin, done with that, I'm good. And that's the end of it. It does not work that way. Sin condemns us. Sin, unpopular as it is, brings us before the very wrath of God. Because God cannot look at sin. And so it has to be dealt with. And the only way it is dealt with is to be punished by death. It, is, it has a consequence of finality to it. But then how do we live, Mike? What do we do? We're deserving of death. We're deserving of condemnation. I stand before you saying, I on my own am a sinful being. Well, then how can I dare get up here and say I'm alive? How can I speak at all? Well, you got to keep reading, right? Look what he says next. But God made us alive with Christ Jesus. Even when we were dead, what we could not do, Christ did for us. How cool is that? We couldn't raise ourselves from the dead. We were sinful and we were going to keep digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And God's saying, no, I'm bringing you home. I am making a way for you to not be identified by your sin. I am making a way for you not to have to suffer my wrath. 
even when we were dead. He makes us alive. Look at what he says here, and you want to pay attention to this. He says, he says, he makes us alive, he raises us up, and he seats us in the heavenly places. If you pull out the Greek there, what you notice is that each of the three verbs there, he raises, he makes us alive, and he seats us, has the prefix of sin, not S-I-N, S-Y-N. It's the way of getting across of being together with. Do you know the word in English, synonymous? Well, that's what it's meaning here. Bringing together with the fact that we are no longer ourselves, but we are together with Christ Jesus. Because we can't raise ourselves from the dead, but he can do it for us. So when we read it in light of this, listen to how Tim Keller puts it. He says what what it's saying is God made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up together with Christ and he seated us in the heavens together with Christ. Our lives are not only our own anymore. We, as the Bible teaches us, have been bought with a price. Jesus Christ came to earth to pay a ransom, to pay the penalty for our sins, which we couldn't pay. How do I simplify that? It's pretty cool. Again, this is something, if you are a churchy kind of person, you know. You like to say that God is with us, right? He is with us. We, we, we know that to be true, right? But now we know we are with him. Adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Bought with a price knowing that God is for us. He is cheering us on saying, I want you to live the thriving life that I created you to live because in so doing, you'll show people my greatness. It's not just about us. When he brings us into fellowship with himself through Jesus Christ and he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to do the things he gave us to do, he says your life is going to be forever different. It's not going to feel like you're going through the motions. There's purpose. There's a plan. There's love. There's greatness. Paul doesn't stop though. He says, it's because of his great love. Well, what's so great about God's love? If it wasn't clear already, go back to the fact that, have you ever gotten a problem that was too big for you to solve on your own? Maybe you're at work and there is just a situation where everything around you is crashing down and there is no possible way this solution can be corrected in your mind. And then somebody comes in that sees everything from a different perspective. And suddenly, boom, there's a whole different way of looking at the problem that allows progress to be made. Have you ever lived through anything like that? Or maybe if you're a student, you'll recognize a story from my youth. I don't like, I like, I struggle with math. I've said that before. And I can remember I had one teacher in high school, in secondary school, that would sit with me as I was trying to learn geometry. And he finally said, Mike, I think I figured out how to help you. He said, you're never going to understand it this way, so let's draw it. And by the way, for geometry, that works really well. I like shapes. 
And sure enough, he took me through and we started with the simple things of a triangle. And then we moved into the complex formulas. And because he showed me the picture of what he was teaching, it was like my eyes were open to a whole big world of geometry. And I could do it. And I didn't fail the next test. In the same way, when we understand that we are stuck... Not only are we stuck, we are condemned. The judge, the jury, the executioner have said, you are dead. God made another way through Jesus Christ. And it's already done. This is all past tense. He already did these things. He already has raised us into new life. He already seats us with him in the heavenly places. He already makes us alive. His work is done. He is working in space and time in such a way that the act is completed, yet we still have a job to do. Because of his great love, he says, I'm going to let you grow. I'm going to let you live. I'm going to let you show the world who I am. When you become a Christian, you believe in Jesus Christ, right? So far, so good, right? When you believe in Jesus Christ, you are united with him. Your life is no longer just yours. You are now part of a bigger family. So that everything Christ has ever done and everything he deserves has become yours. When Paul writes, you are co-heir with Christ Jesus, that's what he's saying. Everything that Christ has done, everything that he deserves has become yours. You are now as honored as Jesus Christ. You are as loved as Jesus Christ. You are as accepted as his actions deserve. Because you're so good? Is it because we're so good? No, okay, we're still sort of awake. Yeah, good, 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 good. No, it's because of him. Because of what we call in fancy churchy talk, the incarnation. God became man and lived among us fully God and fully man. And he paid the price of our condemnation. But there's a flip side to this truth that we don't like to think about. This is slightly less popular. If you're a Star Wars fan, because I haven't mentioned it in a few weeks, it's time. There is a dark side. And the implications of this area are pretty simple. If we are so united with him that we get everything his life deserves then he is so united with us in his humanity that he got everything our lives deserved. You ever thought about that? We got what Jesus deserved and he took what we deserve. He went to the cross on our behalf, not because Jesus deserved it. Jesus did not. We are given the free gift of grace and that's what we're going to move to next. But Jesus suffered immensely on our behalf. And it's why Paul writes it this way. He says, it is by grace through faith that we have been saved. By faith, we can see further than our eyes can see into his world. Faith is a tricky thing especially in uh, what we call sometimes now the age of reason or the ages of understanding. If we can't see it, if it can't be proven scientifically, it cannot be true. 
But unfortunately, there are simply those things in life which we will never fully understand. I could make a list of funny things that I will never understand. For instance, the female species. Never going to understand them and they're never going to understand me. That's how it goes. But on a much grander scale, we keep wanting to reduce God down to something that we can grasp. We've made him from a person to a thing. And here we are told, no, 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 no. Faith says we are walking by faith toward a God that is bigger than our comprehension, bigger than our understanding, that we will trust that he will lead us exactly where we are to go, even if we don't have every detail right in front of us. We will walk by faith. If we could see it, are we really trusting in him? He knows the answers. And he says time and again, I will supply all you need according to my glory and my riches. I will watch over you on my terms, not yours. Faith says that I will walk with God's vision, even if it doesn't make sense in the eyes of man. Grace is a free gift of his. But see, here's a stumbling block for us, because I think we like to talk about grace but I'm not convinced that we like to live gracefully. Gifts have all sorts of different levels, right? Uh, I got the privilege of traveling this week uh, down to Manila uh, to spend some time with ministry partners, and I can't wait to tell you what's coming with that. And I stayed at a hotel. I stay at the same hotel every time I go there, and each time I go there, they give me a wonderful little gift that I always bring back, right? Right? Isn't it great? I got my little toiletry set. My wife said, quit bringing these home. We have too many. Well, who knows when you'll run out of soap, lotion, or conditioning shampoo. You might need it someday, right? Now, technically, that was a free gift. I didn't go out to the cart and take a bunch. I was tempted, but I did not do that. No, this was the free gift in my room at the Linden Suites. And then when Pastor Stan left, I took his too. Don't tell him. He was already gone. But see, that gift, it's dispensable. I can live without this, right? I can literally walk just a couple doors down and buy my own soap. Or if I smell bad enough, someone will probably give me a free gift of soap. That's how it works. It is a dispensable gift. Or maybe, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, we throw that gift away. It's, it's useful for a time. Last year, I was given a very special gift. Actually, twice I was given this gift. But this school right here is celebrating its 20th anniversary. It's a very special time in the life of the school. And they, they had these things made that talk about Alliance Primary School uh, and, and say some other stuff on it. I have a great picture. And I'm reminded of the partnership that we get to have with them. And it's a pretty cool gift. And even better, because of my personality, this is a great gift because it's got Post-it notes inside it. And I got to tell you, I love me some post-it notes. They are second in God's holy creation behind duct tape. <laughs> they are amazing. But again, you know what? If I lose this, I'm going to be just fine. It's a cool gift. I really appreciate that it was given to me. And I'm really thankful for it. 
but it is still dispensable. If tomorrow I go into the doctor and she said, Mike, and I'm not even sure this is possible, that's why I'm saying it because it sounds so rare or weird, your stomach continues to get worse, you need a stomach transplant. Someone will have to donate a stomach to you for you to survive. Like I said, I don't think that's possible. And it will be very expensive. It's an experimental procedure. No one has ever done it before. And I'm just shattered. I'm stunned. I, I don't know what to do with it. And then all of a sudden, I'm walking up on the street, and a stranger says to me, you look sick. I'm supposed to donate my stomach to you and pay all of your medical bills in the process so that you can be healed and have life forever. But it's going to cost you your life. That's okay. I'm willing to do that. That gift is indispensable. I can't live without it. And it costs the person giving it to me everything. That gift is grace. We camp out and think this is grace. And our world lives with us giving this kind of grace away. It's only when it's convenient to us that we offer grace. That is not this. If we are to be the church that is a city on a hill that offers bright light into a dark world, we are going to dive headfirst into the darkness not to live there, but to show people there is a way out and that their past does not define them because it is by grace that we have been saved and God pulled us out not with some hand soap but with the free gift of grace that cost his son everything. So which kind of grace are we living in? Which kind of free grace, free love are we giving away knowing that we've already been saved? Well, let's think about it. If we know it's a gift of God, we know that we can't earn it, right? We can't work hard enough to get it. Yet time and again, we try to deserve God's grace. We gotta let that go. Because the minute we start thinking it is about us and how qualified we are, we get proud of ourselves. And when we get proud of ourselves, the inevitable outcome of that is that we look down at other people. Because look at me. I mean, I know what to do. How could they make that same mistake again? They're so unspiritual. They're so unholy. They're so fill in the blank, right? Because we know better. But if we get mad because we're a pretty good person and we live a pretty good life and God's not answering our prayers, we don't have any idea what God's grace is. Because we're expecting him to be about us. We're expecting him to do what we want and what we think is selflessness is selfishness. And we're just as bad as those living without grace because we expect God to work on our behalf, which he's already done. But he's told us to get our hands dirty in the mess of other people's lives to help lift them out, out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Why would we do such a thing? Because we are God's creation. We are God's handiwork. We are God's, I like the translation, I think it's the living translation that says you are God's masterpiece. But really, when you simplify it down in the Greek, it just means God made you. Which shouldn't that be enough? 
If I was made by God and you were made by God, shouldn't that be enough to know that God created us? Every cell, every microscopic thing that's smaller than a cell that I can't remember, atom, nucleus, all those things, he made all of it. And he says, you're mine, but I made you in Christ Jesus. Don't forget that. We can do nothing on our own. We need Jesus. When do we need Jesus? Sometimes. Here, multiple choice. It's a Sunday morning, I know. Okay, so when do we need Jesus? Answer A, never. Answer B, sometimes. Answer C, all the time. When do we need... Well, now you're just not listening to your proctor. We need him all the time, but we keep thinking we can do it on our own. And God's saying, you are my creation. You are mine, but you're mine through Jesus Christ. I bought you with a price. You were expensive. So I expect you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Do you remember those words? Well, how does Paul say it here? He says, you were created to do good. They, the English adds, to do good works. But you could just stop. And I know if you're an English teacher, no, you can't do good. I get that. But you understand what it's saying. We were created by God in Christ Jesus to change the world, to do good works everywhere we go, every moment of every day. Remember all the way back at the beginning of the Bible? Let us make man in our own image. If we didn't like Greek and we prefer Latin, we would say in the imago Dei, in the very image of God, we were created. We represent him as we walk through life. Do we fail? Yes. Are there lots of hypocrites in this world? Yes. So then we go back up and we read, it is by grace through faith you have been saved, not by your own works because you're a failure. <laughs> we should say amen to that every time we hear it because on our own we fail. Someone will do something wrong and it'll make us mad. Case in point, and my poor daughter had to see it yesterday. We were standing in line at welcome, minding our own business with four items getting ready for community group last night. And apparently we were invisible and a lady just stuck her cart right in front of us and then she dragged another cart in behind that one and they were full. And I'm like, we have four things. And in my unsanctified self, I said loudly because I wanted to, gee, isn't it nice, Izzy, to be, I'm oh, sorry, I used her name. Isn't it nice, daughter of mine, to be invisible? Instantly, I was like, man, I'm preaching on grace tomorrow. Let her go. And then suddenly she must have heard me because then they felt bad. And then I felt bad. And all of it could have been changed if my disposition and my attitude had been proper the first time. What's the big deal? Is my time so valuable that I can't wait for them to check out at welcome? No. Who knows, maybe they were in the hurry to go visit somebody in the hospital and I took that time away from them. I don't think that was true, but it could have been. But see, we do it all the time in our Christian lives. We make ourselves more important than others. And then we say, but God, they deserved it. 
It is by grace through faith you have been saved, not by works that you could boast on your own. We deserve condemnation. We deserve wrath. So if we're not willing to give grace away, we've got to be very careful with asking him for more. Because he will supply all our needs. But there's a flip side to it. The United States Marines, whatever their reputation currently might be, have a policy. And it's, it's been written about in a book by uh, Simon Sinek called Leaders Eat Last. But uh, the U.S. Marines and, and many other officers across the world in the military, the officers, whenever they eat with their troops, they eat last. Why? To show each and every troop among them, whether it's the general all the way down, but the, the, the little guys, the privates, should eat first to show they have value in their lives. That they, too, even the highest-ranking officer can serve the lowest-ranking peon. Do we do that? Or do we kind of take? It's easy for me to want to take what's right in front of me. It's easy for me to want to take the free soap but I'm invited to take a whole life and give it away freely. Tim Keller, who I read earlier, says it this way. When you know you're a sinner saved by sheer grace, that makes you spiritually poor. He's referring to blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. What does it mean? It means that when you look at a really poor person or a morally failed person, you never treat them with superiority. You never treat them like, oh, look at how bad they are and how great I am. Never. If you look down on anybody right now in your life, what if you're the good kid in your family and you have siblings who are married or not married and they've done awful things and you feel like you're the good one and you look down your nose at them, you don't understand grace. Church, I am inviting us to a posture of what Ephesians 4, which we'll get to in a few weeks, calls lowliness. The same posture is that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be held tightly onto, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and looked do we look up at a world in need or do we look down on them and say they deserve what they got? Because all around us, I have seen situation after situation, since, even just since I got home this week, that made me think, are we really trying to live in grace and give it away? Or are we just fighting against the injustice all around us? There is injustice and we need to fight against injustice that goes against God's law. But we need to help people out of it too. We need to help, not just name problems. And that's what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. You were created to live by grace through faith and to do good works so that the world can see a better way to live. Well, Mike, how do I do that? How do I thrive? How do I not go through the motions? You ever hear of a woman named Helen Keller? Many of us have. Many of you grew up learning about her. She was, she was deaf, she was dumb, and she was blind. Not dumb intellectually. I would posit that she was arguably one of the most intelligent people to ever live. 
because otherwise how could she have done what she did? But if anybody had a right to complain about life, it's Helen Keller. I don't know how she would have done it because she wouldn't have known how to do it. But she was deaf, she was blind, and she was unable to speak. And yet, as she grew and as she developed and as she had the most amazing teacher training and teaching her, look at these words that Helen Keller composed. I can't say wrote because I don't know how she actually composed them. But they are a rallying cry for today's church. I am only one, but still I am one. Now think about that in terms of the woman composing this. She is still fully human. She is God's handiwork. I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. How often do we, the church, sit there and go through the motions and then hope other people will do something about letting the world know about Jesus? God created you for right now. And whether you are an IT professional, a teacher, a house administrator, or a preacher, we have all been created for such a time as this. What will we do with the gifts, the abilities, and the time God has given us? How will we respond? I finish with a funny story because obviously you know what I do for a living. When I fly, and I think I've said this before, except if I'm with my family, I don't want to talk to people. I want to put on my noise-canceling headphones, and I want however many hours I'm on that plane to go by as quickly as possible. Not because I don't trust the pilots, I trust you, but because I hate sitting still. And so the more I can do to make that time go quickly, the better I am. But I got to sit next to a lovely older couple uh, that I thought didn't speak English the first half of my flight until I noticed that the lovely woman next to me, she was older, and she couldn't put her seat back. And if you've ever been on an airplane, you know getting those seats back is not easy, right? And so I said, can I help you, thinking she wouldn't understand, but I could push the seat back anyway and hopefully not too far. And so I sort of did that, and then she said, oh, thank you very much. I couldn't do it. I was like, oh, great. Well, I hope I've behaved well because she understood everything I said. And then she said, out of nowhere, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah, I am. And I, I tried to then shift to Cantonese and tell her I'm a moxie and I'm a pastor. And I tried to shift and, and she had none of that. And she, she hands out and she hands me a booklet on how to become a Christian. <laughs> and as humorous as that was to me, It reminded so much of what this passage is about. She had an opportunity. She didn't know if I knew Jesus, but she didn't want to miss the chance to make sure that I had the chance to know him. She used her gifts, which her gift at that moment was she got stuck sitting next to me. And she made the most of that opportunity. And then she fell asleep. But see, my point is we often say you got to be this qualified, this good, this, that to make a difference in the world, and you do not. You have to be a sinner saved by grace, living by faith, saying, God, here I am. 
So how do we thrive? You've got your action points. I did it differently today because I wanted you to see that each step of the, the growth process has a point. Action steps are pretty simple. Who do you know who's dead? What are you going to do about it? The lady sitting next to me now, I felt kind of bad because she must have thought I looked dead on the airplane because she thought I needed Jesus. Well, she did something about it, right? Will we? Number two, remind yourselves of what it means to be in Christ. Remember the past two weeks we've discussed in Christ I'm a new creation, in Christ I'm transformed, in Christ I'm all these things and empowered to live a different life? Remind yourselves of that. If you wonder what I'm talking about, read Ephesians 1. It'll make perfect sense. Number three, go ahead and take the focus off yourself for a moment and write down 10 ways God's love is great. 10 ways. Oh, I can't think of that many. Once you start, you won't be able to stop because it's about Him. Then, by the way, these get tougher and tougher and more exciting Identify someone or a group. Oops, sorry. Identify someone or a group you know that is in need of undeserving grace. So often we hear all around us people that are just messing everything up and they deserve to suffer, they deserve to struggle. You are right, they deserve it. But so do we. So because we deserve that, how can we give God's grace away to them and try to help them out of the mess? Because maybe you're the one that's going to help them look at things from a different perspective. That doesn't usually mean taking a Bible to their head and beating, over the, beating them over the head with it. It means walking with them and continuing even if they abuse you. If he takes your tunic, offer your coat too. That's what Jesus said. Keep walking with them because you are in Christ. You're mine. And then finally, look at yourself and name three good works you're going to do this week. Write them down. Tell somebody. Why? Because you're holding yourself accountable. You're saying, okay, God, I believe your word is true, and I'm going to do something about it. And by the way, three is not hard. Three should be done before breakfast. You get up. If you are married, you look at your spouse and say, I love you. Boom! You have now started their day so much better because they realize you're in a good mood. Simple as that. Two, can I make you a cup of coffee, a cup of tea? Can I help you in any way? Boom, you've done two and you still haven't gotten to breakfast yet. Three, how'd you sleep? How you feeling? How can I help? Three, instantly, all still before breakfast, you have let them know they are valuable and you care about them more than yourself. Just like that, just before breakfast. If you are not married, there are a million other things you can do. You get the idea. Get into the habit of going through the motions until they become automatic. Then when people cut in front of you at welcome, your response is not like mine where you grumble. Your response is full of grace and full of God's truth. You see, grace empowers us to keep moving forward because we know we didn't deserve God's grace so we can keep giving it away freely. Faith gives us the vision to keep acting even when we don't know how it's going to turn out. We know God wins. And we know we will be with him for all eternity. Amen? For it is by grace through faith you have been saved. You are God's masterpiece. And he created you in Christ Jesus to do good works. 
because of his love, you can do great things. Amen?